0: Hello and welcome. The following message is from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. I had a vision, my friends. I had a vision. When I had a vision over the summer that when, when fall 2021 arrived, we would all be together uh, in a space like this and in our homes, having dinner together, uh, you know, playing with each other's kids. Hugging, playing, talking, laughing, crying. And uh, without masks and without social distancing. That, that was my vision. And I was so motivated and so excited by that vision. You know, all I have wanted all these months since the pandemic began was for us to have the freedom to be together without the cloud of COVID. And, uh, and, and I would want to say really clearly, like, I don't love having to... Uh, you know, comply with restrictions about masks and social distancing and using one set of doors for washrooms uh, and and one set of doors for entering and another set of doors for exiting i don 't love that, but I think it 's important, and I think that doing so is a way of loving you, loving our neighbors, and keeping each other safe and so even though it 's not what i love it's, I, I think it 's important to comply and my vision was that we would no longer need to, to follow these sorts of like protocols and stuff. In fact, today, uh, September 12th, was supposed to be the relaunch. And, and we hopefully would fill this room and, and have let all kinds of people know that this is what's going on. And we would be so much better because we wouldn't have to worry about masks and social distancing. You see the picture? Well, it wasn't meant to be. As, uh, as, as August you know, came along and we heard more and more about this fourth wave and we heard more and more about the delta variant we just it just became more and more clear that uh we're not there yet and we may not be there for some time well i'm i am um working through it with my counselor you know she's actually been really helpful and um yeah you know one of the things we've been talking about here actually is is how the stages of grief Apply in in this situation. You know, you know how um, how the, you know this those five stages of grief. The first one is denial, and then there's anger, and then there's bargaining, and then there's depression, and then there is acceptance. And those are the five stages of grief. Well, one day while I was in the car, I was driving somewhere, and I had another vision, which also relates to us as a church and where we kind of find ourselves. And in this vision. You and I, we are all together and we're on a school bus and we're heading out somewhere uh, out west, like suppose we're going on, say, like Banff, Alberta, okay? Somebody, some Someplace far west and all of us are together on this bus. And as we're going, and we're not in any city, we're on the highway in the middle of nowhere and the wheels fall off the bus and we're all fine, but the bus is stranded in the middle of nowhere. And it's like, now what? Now what are we going to do? And as it begins to sink in, we go through all the stages of grief together, grieving the trip that we're on. Because it begins with denial. And, and, and I'm like, well, let's no, let's just put the wheels back on. It'll be fine. We will, we'll get there. We can fix this ourselves. We'll do it. It's fine. It's denial. Well, then there's anger. And it's like, oh, stupid bus. Why didn't we, why didn't we fly? What was I thinking, putting us on a bus? And, and there's anger and then there's bargaining well bargaining sets in and then and, and I'm like well let's just maybe we'll stay on the bus because the bus is safe well, maybe we'll, let's wait for CAA they'll come along somebody somebody surely will come along and they can maybe they'll tow us the rest of the way we'll we'll be able to make our trip we'll figure this out and then there's then there's depression and as depression sinks in the, it's it's kind of like well man we, we are never getting out of here i've failed them i had one job and I can't even do that. What's even the point? And so there's depression. And then there's acceptance. And, and acceptance, it's, it's like, wow, I guess no matter how long we stay on board, this bus just isn't moving. This bus just ain't going anywhere. On the other hand, maybe if we step off the bus and explore this space, maybe there's something interesting to see around here. So that's acceptance, and and I got i will tell you the truth, like that's where I am right now. I haven't always been there, but um, that's where I am right now. I'm, I'm at I'm at the pro, I'm at the stage of acceptance, and and I want to say I think it's really important to feel feelings and to process your feelings and go through those stages. Okay, absolutely, we need to process how we feel and think. I just also know at the same time I know that I can't uh, mature and help. And grow if all that I ever talk about anymore is how much COVID has stolen from my life. All right, it's important to do uh, in in doses, and it will not put the wheels back on the bus. All right, and so it's like, what if what if we get off the bus? What if I what if I step down off the bus and you know have a, have a look around because you know if Jesus is real. He, it's not like he's waiting to be found at the end of the trip, okay? It's not like he's out there somewhere, but he's not here with us. In fact, if we were to get off the bus and walk around and maybe explore a little bit, I think we'd actually find he's here. He's in our midst, and he actually offers us some new experiences in this place, in this moment, that we couldn't have if we simply stayed on the bus and waited for it to get fixed so that we can go to the place we planned to go a long time ago. No, I think Jesus, I think he's here. I think he's here and he invites us now to come and step off the bus and, and to find him and meet him in this place. And so I just think this metaphor of a school bus, I think that's such a helpful picture for me. Maybe for you too. And, and I just think that that is a, also a really good way for us to get the fall started together, Okay. Like, in a way, we are we're meeting Jesus all over again, okay? Like we're we're kind of like stepping off the bus, we're finding Jesus, realizing, wow, you were here after all, let's get to know each other. let's let's do this. And so this series, this is just a short series of three messages we're calling relearning the Way of Jesus. And what we're doing is we're just we're fo- for these three messages, we're focusing on, the, the essentials of the Jesus message and the, the way of Jesus. And we're going back to the place that it, that it all began in Mark chapter 1, where the first thing that Jesus said in his public ministry was in, in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 to 18, which we just heard. He said, he, he said that as he went into Galilee, uh, The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Verse 16, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Verse 17, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. Well, the, the message here that Jesus is, is, is apparently sharing is that, look, in light of the fact that the time has come in light of the fact that the kingdom is at hand, there are three things that follow. Three things really matter, okay? So I want you to repent, I want you to believe the good news, and I want you to follow me. And, and it's like Mark wants to, us to know that that's the core message. That's the essential message of Jesus. Repent, believe, follow me. And today, as, I wanna, as we get us started, um, I want to focus on the second of those three things, believing, believing. Believing. And, and the question really is, believe what? Believe what? What is, what is it that we're to believe? And what Jesus said is, believe the good news. And so let's, well, let's talk about that for a minute. Now, the good news that Christians believe is that we are reconciled to God, not because we've done a bunch of good things, and not because we avoid doing a bunch of bad things. We're reconciled to God because we believe Jesus has changed everything that Jesus, God's son, came to earth and in his living and in his dying and rising again, he has changed everything. And that was a constant message uh, of Jesus when he lived. He told us in John eleven, twenty five 25 and 26, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. In fact, years later, the apostle Paul was going to take this this idea of this good news and he was going to he told people in the beginning of the his his letter to the romans so like 30 years after jesus the apostle paul tells the early church in rome he says i am not ashamed of the gospel like i'm not ashamed of this good news because it is the power of god that brings salvation to everyone who believes everyone who believes Now, I don't know if you realize this, but at the the time that that Jesus announced uh, repent and believe the good news, the things that Paul talks about as being the gospel that he's not ashamed of, that brings salvation to everyone who believes, the things that Paul describes as the gospel, those things haven't happened yet. Paul is talking about some things that haven't happened when Jesus first said repent and believe the good news. Does that make sense? Now, we need to think about that. We need to think about that. We need to think about what is that good news? What are, the, what are the parts of that good news? In fact, I'm going to invite you to turn to your neighbor. Turn to your neighbor, and I want you to have a quick chat. What are some things that are important for Christians to believe as part of that good news? Okay? What is one thing God wants his people to believe as part of the good news? Okay? Okay, so go ahead. Take a minute, and then we'll, uh, we'll share these. In fact, I'll put them up on the chart. Ready? Go. Okay, good. So you've had some time to chat. I've heard your ideas. I've got them on the chart paper here. Lots of, yeah, lots of true, important ideas. God in three persons. Yeah, absolutely. Jesus is God. Um, that Jesus is, uh, is fully, uh, fully human. Uh, Jesus is God's son. Uh, Jesus is coming back. Jesus was raised from the dead. Yeah, these are all true things. Absolutely right. Thank you. And, you know, it's interesting. Nobody shared about the rapture. Nobody thought that the, that baptism is, is an essential part of the gospel. Nobody talked about the age of the earth. But these things, all these ideas are true and important and biblical. And, you know, there's, an, there's a word for it when a person... Uh, believes these things. We call that orthodoxy. Orthodoxy. Now, if you've been with benediction any amount of time, you've probably heard us use the word orthodoxy before. It literally means right belief or believing what Jesus believes. And what's, what's interesting is, as we've seen, is like scripture doesn't exactly give us a list of all of the ideas and truths and doctrines that should be included in orthodoxy. Okay? There's no There's no list. Scripture doesn't tell us what those are, but it does show us. And I want to see that by looking at a couple of key moments in the ministry of Jesus. Now, one happens near the beginning when he's interacting with some Pharisees. So if you want to come with me to John chapter 5, we'll see this. We've got the Pharisees here treating Jesus like he's a heretic, like Jesus is a false teacher, like they're the ones who are more biblical than he is. And, And Jesus has an answer for them. So in John chapter 5, verse 34, he says, Okay, you guys, you sent to John, like John the Baptist, and he testified to the truth. That John, man, he was a lamp that burned and gave light. And you chose for a time to enjoy his light. Let's jump to 37. Uh, And the Father who sent me has has himself testified concerning me. But you've never heard his voice nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you. For you do not believe the one he sent. So you've heard from John you've heard from the father verse 39 you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life these are the very scriptures that testify about me yet you refuse to come to have eternal life now it's interesting like these pharisees they've got all this truth they know all they know their bibles inside and out they've got almost like a surplus of truth so in verse 33 they had the testimony of John the Baptist. John the Baptist taught them about Jesus. In verse 37, the Father himself testified about Jesus. And then, this, then they studied the Scriptures. The Scriptures testified about Jesus. And after all three of those sources, John and the Father and the Scriptures, they still refuse him. They still refuse him. Now, imagine what it's like to be one of these Pharisees as well-taught and well-respected and dignified and sophisticated as you are. And here's Jesus, and he's saying like, you guys think you know a lot, but God's word does not dwell in you. God's word does not dwell in you. Why not? Because you do not believe the one he has sent. And you know what this shows us is that there's actually, there's a way to be, quote, biblical, biblical. I don't always love that word, you know, but there is a, there's, actually, there's a way for us to be biblical that actually has nothing to do with the way of Jesus. And clearly that's not what Jesus means when he says to believe. He's not talking about, you know, being a rock star, you know, varsity Bible scholar who at the same time rejects Jesus. That's not what we're talking about, I believe. The next uh, event, though, that I want to have a look at here uh, happens closer to the end of Jesus' life. So if you, wanna, if you want, come with me to Luke chapter 23, where Jesus is about to be crucified. Okay, And in verse 33 of Luke chapter 23, we read about this thief. Uh, verse 33, When they came to the place called the Skull, They crucified Jesus there along with the criminals. Some versions say the thieves. One on his right, the other on his left. Let's go to verse 39. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence? We are punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, I want to focus on this guy, this, th- this second thief. He's, in tradition, he's called the, the penitent or the, or the repentant thief, as opposed to like the, the unrepentant thief. So this, this thief, he's hanging on the cross, he's listening to the other, the other thief, the other criminal, shouting and criticizing and mocking Jesus. He sort of cranes his neck around to, to shout down the other criminal, like, come on, man, show some respect. You and I belong here. We're getting what we deserve for our sins, but this guy hasn't done anything wrong. Now, how does he know that? How does he possibly know anything about Jesus? All he knows is what he's seen so far, okay? Okay? All he knows is he's seen Jesus nailed to a cross. He's seen him mocked and laughed at and spat on and he's seen Jesus belongings stolen by by soldiers. He's seen Jesus saying over this entire crowd, "Father, forgive them because they have no idea what they're doing." He forgives them all. So this this criminal, he doesn't know much. He just knows what he's seen. And so and so on the basis of what he's seen, he says to Jesus, Jesus, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And you know what Jesus says to him? Let me tell you what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, hey, thanks for the support, man. Can you believe this guy? Can you believe the attitude and the privilege on this guy? He doesn't, he doesn't say, oh, man, too bad you and I didn't meet earlier. Like, you would have made such a great disciple, but you know, it's, it's too late. Like, I'm just, there's just, there isn't time for me to teach you all of the biblical ideas and, and truths and doctrines that you're going to need to know and agree with in order to come into my kingdom. It's too late, but sorry. I mean, if you'd asked me a couple of weeks ago, maybe, but not here. No, he doesn't say that. He says, man, truly, truly today, you're going to be with me in paradise today. So he's in. Do you, you agree with me on that? Do you, do you agree that that's a fair interpretation? that Jesus is telling this thief, you're in. You've made the cut. And, and, and I'm, I'm suggesting that if this thief is in, if this criminal has been uh, welcomed into Jesus' kingdom, that means that we can look at him as an example of what it means to believe. Okay? He shows us what it means to believe. In fact, let's come back to our chart here for a minute. So these are the ideas that you shared with us a few minutes ago when we, when we collected your ideas about what are the essentials of the Christian faith? What are the essentials of orthodoxy? What are the essentials of the good news? Um, and there's a lot of really true, a lot of really important uh, ideas and truths and doctrines on this list. Can I just ask you a question? How many of these ideas that we listed here did the thief on the cross believe? Really? Like, maybe that Jesus is Messiah. Maybe that Jesus is the Son of God. But he didn't know about the resurrection. He didn't know anything about Trinity. There's no reason to uh, believe that he knew that that Jesus is coming back. We, We don't have any evidence of any of that stuff. Well, so this thief, he believed almost none of these things. Well, what do you do with that? What are we going to do with that? Are we saying that it doesn't matter to Jesus what we believe? No, that's not what we're saying. That's not what we're saying. I actually think the thief shows us what believing in Jesus looks like. Because he gives us an example of what believing looks like. His example, I think it actually, it's, it's helpful, it corrects, and it challenges some some assumptions that we might make in our culture about what believing looks like, about what what how faith and the Bible sort of overlap and intersect. Let me show you what I mean. I think that it's helpful to think of Scripture as a mosaic. Now, I don't know if you know what a mosaic is, but here's a picture of one. A mosaic is a, is a large, you know, rich, multi-layered work of art. And it's usually made up of thousands of carefully placed little pieces of glass that fit together. And together, all of those pieces with each of their different color and shape, each of them work together to show us the big picture of this masterpiece, which in this case is Jesus. So all those pieces together combine to show us Jesus. And the thing about a mosaic is, if you, f- if you get close enough and spend all your time only focusing on one part of the mosaic or focusing on one or two little sections... Uh, then all you see are the broken shards of, of maybe dark colored glass. All you see is those and you actually miss the big picture. Now, I've been part of church long enough to know that there are people who think believe means we just need to get our doctrine right. Like if we can just get more Bible into our heads, we will be fine. The assumption is we'll correct all the the liberal ideas and all the false ideas and all the worldly ideas. And once we've done that, whatever's left over has got to be the truth. And that's what we'll believe. And that's what we'll pass on to our kids. So we just need more Bible. That's the assumption. And so we end up camping out on one or two issues like baptism or hell or divorce or the role of women in church leadership or sexuality for the for the Pharisees. You know what the you know what the one issue was? You know what the you know what the it was sabbath. Sabbath. They got bent out of shape with how Jesus was uh, acting on the sabbath and that's what put him on the cross. But these things whether you were you know we're dealing with them today or talking about the Pharisees, these are the things that are like fundamental. They're fundamental. You know what I'm saying? Now, I am a big fan of the Bible. But as far as we know, the thief hasn't read it. And if we assume that all that you and I need is more Bible, then you've got to take seriously that here's this thief on the cross and he enters the kingdom of, of God ahead of the Pharisees who knew the scriptures inside and out. And friends, that is why belief and Bible knowledge can't be the same thing. They can't possibly be the same thing. Belief and Bible knowledge but there's and so, and so the thief on the cross he corrects that assumption there's another important assumption that I think needs to be corrected and, and is corrected by this thief and I'm not totally sure what to call this, but um I observe that uh, among some some parts of church culture it's it's almost believed that the Bible itself is the problem it's like it's like the bible itself is is what's wrong, and and you know they would look at the fact that the Bible has, in some cases, been the source of so much strife and so much hurt and division, and and the assumption here is that we are better off without it. And now let me be really clear: I think that every generation has to separate what's real in in their faith and what is man made. Okay, every generation has to uh, sort of. Um, deconstruct what is the truth and what is just human tradition. That is so important. I would even say this. I so empathize with every desire to like undo the damage that's been done by fundamentalists and fundamentalism. I think that's important and valuable work. But this assumption that we are better off without the Bible isn't better than fundamentalism. Okay, if we if we want to find Jesus outside of the way that He's revealed Himself in the mosaic, we are just we're just not going to find Him. We're, that's just not going to work out the way that we hoped it would. You, you guys might be familiar with this um, with this author. His name is Joshua Harris. Okay, he's like one of the original celebrity pastors from the nineteen nineties. Okay, he wrote a book. Uh, in the '90s, called "I Kissed Dating Goodbye," and the thing about Joshua Harris is, as a pastor and as an author, over the years, in the '90s and the early 2000s, he he became aware that his work had been used to um, to like prop up purity culture, like it's been used to sort of hold women to an unfair, really sexist, patriarchal standard of of dress and modesty and behavior. And that's not okay, right? That's that is not okay. And so, in twenty thirteen, um, in twenty thirteen, Joshua Harris wrote a book called "Humble Orthodoxy: Holding the Truth Without Putting People Down." And when that wasn't enough, Joshua Harris apologized, and he had his books pulled off the shelves. And when that wasn't enough. He retracted all of the things that he had said about uh, about gender and about sexuality and about marriage, and he rebranded his teaching ministry as more um, inclusive, less traditional. When that wasn't enough, Joshua Harris uh, separated himself from a lot of his former friends and mentors and colleagues. And when that wasn't enough, Joshua Harris quit as a pastor, and then he ended his marriage. He moved to Canada. And recently he's announced that he's he's not even a Christian anymore. He no longer identifies as a follower of Jesus. Now, let me be really clear. I don't know Joshua Harris personally. I I am 100% sure his story isn't over. And I wish nothing but the best for Joshua Harris and the people who know him. And for the people who have been hurt by him. But I've also seen enough to know that this assumption that we are better off without scripture or without theology or without denominations or without doctrinal conversations, that assumption that we're better off without these things, it's actually not bringing the freedom and the healing that we had hoped. Okay? To me, it's actually, it's, it's, it's sad. It's maybe a bit ironic, but it's mostly sad and tragic that you've got, you've got Pharisees on one hand who they can miss Jesus on account of how they handle the Bible. And on the other side, on account of not wanting to be Pharisees, on account of trying to find Jesus outside of Scripture, you've got these others who might miss Jesus too. And and folks, I just want you to know, neither of these is the believing that Jesus wants for us. You know, what I'm learning is that the way of Jesus is so, so simple. We've, you know, we make it so complicated, but it is so simple that this, like, nameless, untaught, dying, uh, guilty thief found the way of Jesus. And if we could ask the thief, hey, man, what do you, what do you believe? What does believing look like? You know what he's not going to do? He's not going to recite a creed for us, okay? He's not going to recite the creed. Not even like the 1689 London Baptist one. Okay? He's not going to give us a creed. On the other side, on the other hand, he is not also going to say, I don't know what you're supposed to believe, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. He's not going to say that. It seems to me if we could ask the thief, brother, what do you believe? What does it mean to believe? I think he's going to say, you know what, guys? I've known Jesus five minutes. I wish that I knew what you know. I just know this, after everything that I've seen, I trust him with everything that I am. I trust him with everything that I am. What do I believe? I believe him. I believe Jesus. And, like, that's it. That's what we mean by believing in Jesus. That's what we mean by orthodoxy. Let me say it this way, orthodoxy isn't mainly about what we believe, but how. Okay, relearning the way of Jesus means Jesus doesn't just want to be believed in. Jesus wants to be believed. Let me say that again. Jesus doesn't want to just be believed in. Jesus wants to be believed. And the way of Jesus is to come to the place where everything that you know about Him, whether that's a lot or a little, everything that you know about Him brings you to the conclusion. I don't know I don't know everything I don't know every I don't know as much as I wish I did I know enough to trust him with my life. I know enough to trust him with my hopes and plans and dreams and all my expectations of life. I believe that if my life is in his hands it is in good hands and you know what no matter if it's like if it's pandemic time or if it's not whatever the landscape wherever we find ourselves. I so want that for us. And I think we want that for each other. We want that for each other. Not just, and, and not just for us, but for our kids, for our neighbors. We want that for our city. We want that for the relationships we have with our, our neighbors and our coworkers. We want that for the nations. We, we long for people to come and to embrace the way of Jesus. Now, Let's let's go back to this picture of the bus for a minute as we close. I, uh, I I like I don't know what plans you had, but I know you had some. And for that reason, I think that this this school bus is a, is a helpful metaphor for us. I, I think we all of our all of us have plans that change. Okay, how many of you how many of you you had your some plans change on you recently? Okay, how many of us how how many of us maybe show of hands here. How many of us are in a different place today than we thought we would be a year or two ago? So maybe the bus was your plans for your family. Maybe the bus was your plans and your hopes for your profession or for your marriage or for your financial situation. Maybe the bus was the relationships that you have with somebody, a strained relationship, a strained friendship or or relative. Maybe... The bus is the plans that you had for the city and the hopes you had for how things would be in Hamilton. Uh, I mean, like, things change. You and I, we, we don't control the bus. But I promise you, Jesus can be trusted. Jesus can be trusted with all of these things. I hope you believe him. I hope you don't just believe in him. I hope you believe him. Thanks for listening to this message from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. Feel free to copy and share these resources, but please don't alter the content in any way. We invite you to visit us online again soon at www.benediction.church for more teaching and information about how you can join us in serving and praying that it would be in Hamilton as it is in heaven.